Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast for the Canadian Journal of Emergency Nursing, uh, the official podcast of the journal and to the National Emergency Nurses Association of Canada. Uh, I am super excited uh, for this article that's in the upcoming spring edition, 2021 edition of our journal. It's uh, the format of the article is probably one of, um, as an editor, one of my favorite formats, which is it takes clinical learning um, by emergency nurses, connects it to our evidence-based, provides a critical reflection on practice and promotes uh, future evidence-based practice. A really, really great article in store for you in uh, in this edition of the journal. So uh, I am here to welcome and thank these two authors uh, for being willing to be interviewed on our podcast. Uh, Jen and Don. Would you both please uh, introduce yourselves? Let us know where you trained and where you work. Okay, I guess age goes first. (laughs) I'm old. So my name is Don Petta. I am a um, clinical nurse educator in southwest Alberta um, currently, and I've been doing that job since 2014. I trained in Lethbridge at the college back when it was just the RN program, graduated in 94, and then went back in 2012 because I wanted to advance my practice, um, and so got my degree in 2013, the University of Lethbridge. And I'm Jen Davis. I am a registered nurse. I'm currently working um, as a clinical nurse educator in the Southwest Rural Zone Program. But really where I hang my hat and my home base is as an emergency nurse at Chinook Regional Hospital. I actually attended the University of Lethbridge uh, through the after degree program and I graduated from there in 2013. Fun fact, Don and I were actually classmates in the degree program together. So that was the first time we met. And then we worked together at Chinook Regional in the ER, which is actually kind of where um, the basis of this article took place. That's awesome. I didn't know that about you too. Thank you. Thank you for introducing yourselves. Can, can you build upon that? Uh, can you tell us a bit about the, the origin of this article? Sort of where did it come from? What was the clinical circumstance? Yeah, so um, uh, it was a, I was working, coming on to a day shift. And um, I was working in C-Pod, which isn't really our acute pod. It's kind of where, you know, just the rollover for tests kind of pod. And Jen was working in our critical pod, which is right across from me. And I had, um, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately had the, um, this patient as my patient and, um, immediately recognized that I was in trouble. This patient was in trouble and I needed help. So I had pulled Jen over just to say, Hey, this is my findings. Like can't get a blood pressure. Can you just check maybe, my ears are older than yours, you know, um, maybe you, you can hear something I can't and kind of just, it built off from there. So of course, Jen came in, reaffirmed what I was hearing. And then of course we got the physician and um, it kind of built from there. Yeah. This is a, yeah, a really, really interesting case. Um, Can you briefly summarize for us what it is that happened in this case? Yeah, so um, like Dawn said, she assumed care of this patient in morning shift. And we kind of, the space that we work in, we kind of had a share 
shared reports so we get to hear some details because just the way the assignments work out, there's one nurse assigned to the pod she was in and then two to the more acute um, space. So I was kind of aware of like the story was really odd. We knew um, this patient's blood work was not great to start with. And then they did, he wasn't really, they decided they were going to do some treatment and stuff based on his presenting symptoms, which were like shortness of breath and back pain. And, you know, they kind of thought looks like a PE, possible PE. We're going to hold overnight for some advanced imaging in the morning. Did some initial, you know, treatment things, attempted to correct an elevated creatinine and blood lactate with a liter bolus and um, did the safe cover. Let's cover our butts and give them some low molecular weight heparin, thinking that we're looking at a pulmonary embolus. And then by morning, they had kind of noticed he wasn't really improved any terms in terms of his vital signs or anything like that with heart rate and blood pressure. So they did some repeat blood work. And the trend that we saw was kind of alarming. And nobody could really put their finger on what was going on with him. Like it was nonspecific. He had a couple of confounding factors of um, chronic back pain and stuff like that. And even though he didn't really have a pertinent like other medical history, um, one of those patients that had probably medical things or maybe problems going on, but hadn't really had good medical care consistency with doctor's visits is kind of, I think what the thought was, is when some of these blood, when some of the labs and stuff were being analyzed. So sick patient, we knew not going, moving in the direction we want, but we didn't really know what was going on with him. And then when Dawn went in, in that morning to assess the patient, that's when she really noticed, like something's really off here because this isn't, I knew his blood work wasn't good and everything, but I didn't realize he, like, he looked unstable is really what ended up happening. And that's what it was for me. It was that kind of nurse, like that gut intuition, you walk in the room and he's like pacing, you know, he's like, oh, my back, I can't. And he had all his clothes on and he's like, I just can't stay here. Like, this is uncomfortable. And, um, you know, they're not, nothing they're giving me is working. And I just knew, you know how you just know this this isn't going to go well. So hence the needing the help. Because yeah, you're touching on so many things here. It's like this, whether he was having a sense of impending doom, there was restlessness, agitation. He knew he must have known that something physiologically was wrong. Um, without knowing the exact etiology of his discomfort, uh, you were picking up on all the cues that this was this man was much sicker than maybe initially thought. The other amazing thing I think about this. Um, this case that you guys have written and published here is that it has direct implications for, for nursing care. This really is one of those cases where uh, astute and sensitive nursing assessments can really make a huge difference in a patient's uh, trajectory and their outcome. Uh, reflecting on this case, what, what do you think were like your biggest learnings from this? I think like for me personally was like I said to Jen, I looked at the monitor because, you know, you kind of you're like he's unhooked himself. So I quickly glanced and I thought, wow, those pressures don't look good. Or there's times where he didn't have pressure. And um, that was alarming to me. But again, coming on in the day, I don't know what the night was like. I don't know if those are, you know, consistent. Were they doing it hourly? Like, you know, our, you know, our protocol says you should do at least hourly unless otherwise indicated by the physician. So that was really alarming to me because I thought if that was his pressures, I kind of looked at map and I was thankful because I worked ICU for years. And so I was very acutely aware of MAP, but for some reason, when it came to eMERGE, that practice fell to the wayside because that's not how they practice down in eMERGE. We never even 
talked about that. And I was fortunate that Jen is actually, she's very smart. Um, and even though she didn't work in the ICU before, she was just very aware. And I had said to her, like, look at these pressures, like, this isn't good. And, and then, of course, I couldn't get a blood pressure. So I was asking her to help me. And again, we recognized that, okay, this map is really bad. There is no pressure on the one side. So. Yeah, I think you're really speaking to something here, which is that um, the, more, the majority of emergency nurse education really is around systolic blood pressure as a single reading, right? And doesn't go on to help us uh, critically interpret perfusion pressures, be it at the cellular, at the tissue, or the organ level. Um, that really, I think that's a major contribution of, of your article and really what it helps with our shared knowledge base. Yeah, yeah and like for me, seeing when we put kind of the vitals and then we started having this discussion about map and then I started thinking about it in context of like the labs that came back and I did a lot of reading and research on the blood work and like kind of aha moments for me were when we see certain labs as nurses we make these general assumptions like most nurses see an elevated blood lactate and what does your nurse brain do it automatically says oh this person is septic because we, for some reason, we've just linked the idea of an elevated blood lactate to um, septicemia. And I mean, it is relevant in that context, but that wasn't going, what was going on with this patient. Like he didn't present with like a viral like picture at all. Like he wasn't like coughing, sick, that kind of thing. He just had shortness of breath. And we, they, there was just this automatic assumption that, oh, maybe he's got, you know, a pneumonia or something that's causing a little bit of infection. And we didn't start to really make that connection. And kind of when you start to look at it, really what is blood, like an elevated blood lactate isn't just necessarily telling us whether or not a patient is septic. It's telling us about their tissue perfusion. And there's numerous causes for that tissue perfusion. So that was something that was really profound that came out of this for me. And when I started to share that with other nurses, like I think it really changed the way they're thinking about it. And then the other big one too is again, that idea of this D-dimer because it's, again, it's, it's one of those things that we automatically link to one diagnosis, totally. right? And we don't think, and, and like, I was literally, when I started researching this case, and then I actually listened to a podcast on TTP and DIC. And it was funny because I was driving to work out at a rural site. And it was such an aha moment for me when I started listening to this hematologist talk about this. And I was thinking about this patient's elevated, like significantly elevated D-dimer. It was massive. And I was just like, it was like, I just had this epiphany where I had to like pull over and write all of this down. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, is this what was going on with our patient? You know, and so just to cut, like what it really taught me is to look at those labs more in the context of what's going on with the patient and not just leap to like the automatic or the most obvious conclusion. And I think sometimes we get hung up on that as nurses because we always think a sepsis that includes a lactate. We roll the dice with someone with chest pain or leg pain and check a D-dimer for a blood clot. And we don't think that there's any other possibility of what could be causing those blood, those lab values to be abnormal. So that was like a huge aha moment for me. And the more I've shared that with other nurses, it's like, I've, I've really seen kind of like lights go off in, in people's heads. And one of the things I've actually taken with this case and some of it is I've kind of brought it down to a more basic level and I present it to clinical nursing students. And we actually talk about what is this lab value for? What is this actually telling you? And we work through the case at kind of a more basic level where they really start to understand that 
lab values can mean all sorts of different things. And what you really have to do is put it in that context and look at what's going on with your patient when you're trying to interpret that information. It is a very impactful and very illustrative case. Yeah, I really think this format of article and the way that you have constructed it and presented it leaves so much, uh, so much to be learned. Can you, can you kind of summarize how this case has changed your practice? Acknowledging that you're both you know, expert nurses, experts in your field, let us know how it's changed your practice. I think for me, just being in the role that I'm in, same as Jen as a nurse educator, and then for my own practice is not being afraid. Like we talk about advocating for the patient. And like I said, I had all this ICU training and I thought, why are we not bringing this downstairs? Like Scott Weingart does that great podcast again, you know, that we should be bringing the upstairs, downstairs and downstairs, upstairs, right? So um, we need to be thinking beyond maybe what we're just trained on, um, not just kind of like Jen said, like going down rabbit holes and just assuming. And I think for me, it's just reminded me that I am a good nurse and I need to trust my judgment and I need to ask the questions, not be afraid and also not be afraid to talk to my peers and say, you know, can you just explain to me the rationale? Because a lot of assumptions are made, but maybe they were thinking a certain thing. So I think it really opened up a lot of communication within our own department and even within our own education system down here. And we're actually talking more about MAP, the relevance of MAP, moving away from just that systolic. Um, So I think for me, that's been the most, the biggest change. Yeah, I think it's been, um, for me too, it has been really eye-opening in terms of um, not being just over-focused. Like we tend, there's this tendency in emergency right now, I feel just to like, we have to label a patient with a diagnosis right away. And we have to have this working diagnosis. And sometimes we miss important cues when we're not, when we just kind of think about that diagnosis and then we take everything else off the table. So that's kind of been one of the things I've really taken away from this is I kind of try to take a little bit more of a broader broader approach when I'm looking at my patients and I'm looking at all of that information, certainly in terms of connecting like physical findings of vital signs and stuff like that to what you're seeing going on in blood work and stuff is, is kind of a key thing that um, I know it's been a real practice change for me is just not to make those assumptions, but to try to connect them to what I'm seeing at the bedside and what I'm seeing when I trend those vitals. And then just, yeah, opening our eyes to really seeing that, um, there's a little bit of a lack of some of the training and knowledge for ER nurses and how can we better improve that? Cause kind of what we did with this first is we wrote this up as just like an article for our quarterly newsletter for Nina Alberta. And we just kind of wrote it. And it was interesting because right away, like we started, we started getting emails from nurses in the rural sites and things. And they're like, Oh, I was, you know, I was born on a night shift and I read this and I was like, I never would have thought about looking at their patient's map and things like that. So it was just really eye-opening in terms of the work we still have to do to improve nursing education for ER nurses kind of in, in our province and in Canada. And from your newsletter uh, to you also had the opportunity to present this at the American, the ENA conference. Is that right? That's outstanding. Yeah. This, this case has turned out to be really, really impactful. Yeah. That's really we had a great. lot of great feedback. 
like you said, we went to um, ENA, we went to Austin and presented it. And we had a lot of um, really positive feedback. And you think like in America, they know and it's great and they already do all this. And a lot of the um, uh, people that were commenting back said, you know what, we don't do that either. Like this is so important. Why isn't this standard training? And so shows that there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah. This is uh, definitely, it's uh, self-serving, but in the interest of uh, of our journal, the Canadian Journal of Emergency Nursing, we definitely want to be a place where expert nurses such as yourselves can uh, take these meaningful, very impactful clinical cases, critically analyze them, recommend improvements for practice, and then share it amongst all of us to, to you know, to improve all of our practice and to share our learnings. Say from, from the perspective of, of an new nurse to the emergency department, a new grad within their first year of practice. What do you think the important takeaways are from this article? Uh, and I say that because I'll certainly be using it to, to help train the new grads that I come across in my practice. What do you recommend they take away from it? Jim? Okay. You go first. <laughs> um, so I think um, just to make sure that um, if you don't know, ask questions and to have adequate training. Like I say to my new hires all the time in the rural, because a lot of the eMERGE departments in the rural, they're brand new grads walking out and um, making sure that um, they're looking at the bigger picture, kind of like Jen said, they're not like this tunnel vision. It's this broad lens and you're considering everything and trying to prove otherwise, right? And I always um, talk about MAP now, going forward in our learning days um, when we're doing our simulation because we want them to um, focus on that a little bit more than they would just um, systolic blood pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I think my advice to new grads would just be don't always um, make an assumption based on what you're seeing on a vitals monitor. Um, we had those moments where we had no vitals recorded on this patient. It's really easy to assume, oh, the cuff fell off. Oh, we got up to the bathroom and stuff like that and and um, not to make those connections. And I mean, there's definitely really good um, evidence-based research saying, saying that even one abnormal vital sign can be an ominous sign in your patient. So just not to always to make that assumption that, oh, it was just an equipment um, an equipment problem, but to actually look at what's going on and kind of put that again into context is there some, is should I be concerned about this or is it just a blip that's definitely something I would say to them just don't take those at face value and assume it was nothing because it, it might be a sign something is going on and then yeah not being afraid to ask for help when you need it and stuff like certainly Dawn has got far more years experience nursing than I do and she's a, somebody that like when I came into the department like mentored me and stuff like that but, you know, not being afraid to humble yourself to be like, I don't know what's going on and I need some help. And would you, can I just get your take on this and stuff like that? And together, I think her and I were able to put the pieces together that there was something alarming going on with this patient. And then we were able to take that and escalate it up to the physician so that like action was actually taken. I know. Um, yeah, I I have a very strong feeling this is going to be a really popular article, uh, both for the journal. Um, I look forward to seeing how it's interpreted, uh, how it's shared amongst nurses. Yeah, I really appreciate uh, you both making the submission, participating in this podcast, and giving us a little uh, extra background uh, information that goes along with this case. Uh, it's very educational. Awesome. Well, we want to thank you for 
working with us through the peer review process. It's been a process, but we've all learned a lot from it. And we're really excited to see this kind of come to fruition in print. And we're really grateful for the support that you and CGENS have given us throughout. You're welcome in French and English. Yes. And I'd just like to add that if anybody that is um, hesitant or wanting, you know, unsure about um, proceeding that, because we all have a lot to say, and I feel like we all have value to give. Um, honestly, um, the CGen editors, um, the team there has been so um, helpful. Okay, and like at times it can be really um, overwhelming, but they've like baby walked us through everything and it helped everything make sense. And I'm so appreciative for the process because it encourages me and makes me want to continue to do this. So just thank you so much, Matt. You guys are too kind. Our, um, our journal is, uh, it represents the knowledge base for our shared uh, specialty within nursing. And we are um, a volunteer organization, much like many, uh, many of our sort of leadership organizations, uh, Nina and the journal. And yeah, we're definitely stronger together. I appreciate your sentiments very much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Thanks, Jen. Thank you, Don. Thank you.